0: Well, good morning, church. How are you? Hey, did you all just, like, feel that? I mean, the realization that Scripture says that we're dead in our trespasses and sin, but we have one who's paid our debt and raised us back to life. And not only that, but he holds us fast in that. We we can take comfort and confidence and assurance in that, that Jesus is more than uh, capable of doing those things. The things that we can't do for ourselves, so I hope that, man, I hope just that that experience right there alone, just lifting your voices up in praise unto the Lord, unto our Savior, um, just stirs those affections inside your heart. Uh, I'm just going to be up here briefly, all right? Somebody get a stopwatch. I'm going to try to keep it under 10 minutes. Um, but what I want to do is, uh, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Brandon, one of the pastors here, uh, I get to come up, and uh, JT and I are, are splitting things up today. So we've never done this before. We don't know how it'll go, but I'm confident that God is in it. And for that reason alone, it's going to go, uh, just swimmingly. Uh, so what I want to do this morning is, uh, really quickly, as quickly as I can, um, just like. Give you the fire hose uh, on on something that fits so um, not just succinctly but necessarily into this idea of us being the church what is it what does it look like what does it mean and so uh, there's a lot of things that I could say but uh, but I 'm just going to jump right into it so are you ready okay um, talking about the importance of having a a worldview a proper worldview and this This word worldview, if you're not familiar with it, it describes, uh, listen carefully, it's pretty simple though, how we are to think, see, and interact with the world that we live in, all right? So worldview, there's multiple different types of worldviews, and this could be a person, an individual, or a group, but we hold to these beliefs, and and through those beliefs that that we see and, and, and we hold to, we interpret the rest of the world. Does that make sense? I think it looks a little bit something like I'm going to describe it to you because I don't know that we have a slide for it. We might, um, but but just uh, try to try to follow along with me as best as you can. So this this word worldview, which I've already defined, looks really simply. I think like this: it's what we understand about the world. You could even say it's what we think we understand about the world. It's those things that that we we see and we think, and and it leads us into some something that follows directly after that so first we have our worldview which is what we understand about the world and then secondly from that we develop our beliefs those things that we declare as true right we have we see the world a certain way and from that that sight that vision that we have we start to develop beliefs and those are those things that we declare as right and good and true and then from that, speaking about things that we declare as right and good, we develop our values. So these are the things that we just declare as good, as morally good. Right? And we could list off a whole bunch of things that are, are both morally good and, and things that are immoral, that are not good. And so those things are stemming from our worldview. Our worldview goes into our beliefs, goes into our values. And then from our values, that's, that creates our behavior, That's what we do. That's how we live our life from day to day. Think about your own personal individual lives in your jobs, in your homes, wherever you are in your relationships, your interactions with other people, your behavior, the way you interact with the world, all of that stems from your worldview. And this is true of all people, everyone. We all practice a, a faith of sorts, if you will. Right? Do you know that? Every, every person, Christian, atheist, agnostic, secular humanist, fill in the blank, everyone has a faith. Everyone believes in something. And that something is your worldview. And that worldview that you hold on to is what all of these other things, your beliefs and your values and your behavior, it all stems out of that. So you can see how, I hope, a proper worldview and I'm going to tell you if you don't already know, and you do, what a proper worldview is uh, here in just a second, but you can, you can see why a proper worldview is such an incredibly important thing. It's because it shapes much of what you think and say and do every single day. It's, it shapes the way that you, you filter the things that you interact with in the world, okay? And, and we're going to get into some of those things in this series Everyone has a worldview. It is the lens that you use to see the world. We're not always aware that that lens is there, right? We're only aware of the things that we see through it. But we make decisions based on this every single day. And those choices, listen, church, they can and oftentimes do come with consequences when we use the wrong lens.
1: And so, Brandon, thank you. You did a great job of entering, um, introducing us to the idea of worldview. So now what, what I want to do is now we kind of understand what worldview is. I want Scripture to teach us how we live our lives within that Christian worldview, right? The Bible tells us how to do this. And so um, I love how Brandon used that word lens. This is, the, this is the lens that we see things through. And so if you've been here the last couple weeks, the, the, the phrase that I've been using other than Christian worldview, which is the right phrase, it's a good phrase, is seeing things through the lens of holiness. Because that's really what it comes down to. Holiness. Again, what does holiness mean? To be pure, yes, right? Because God is perfectly pure. But what it literally means is to be set apart. God wants us to be set apart from the world. Not, 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 listen, that doesn't mean we avoid the things in the world. It doesn't mean that we, we, we go start our own society and become a cult and, and go back from everything, right? No, it doesn't mean that we are to engage the world. We are the hands and feet of Christ. As our pastor said last week, we are ambassadors of Christ. We're his representatives. We must go into the world, but we must be distinct from the world. We must be set apart. That's why holiness is so important, right? A lot of times when we say holiness, we think of rules. It's not rules, Right? It's being filled with God, filled with the Holy Spirit, so we might live the way that he's called us to live and represent him in a way that's faithful and meaningful and leads people to the kingdom of God. That's what we're talking about. So here's the big question I want you to be thinking about as we go through this sermon today, right? And this is not a condemnation question. This is a legit. I, want, I just want you to be honest. Do you think your life, your mind, your heart, your soul, your life, reflects that you're striving to be a good person? a faithful person, like faithful to God, and and trying to avoid sin, whether you're caught in sin right, right now or not, you're trying to avoid sin if you're a Christian. So does that more reflect your life, being a good person trying to avoid sin? Or does your life reflect that you are legitimately pursuing holiness? I've said this lately a few times. And it just feels to me as a pastor, and not just in our church, but just Christianity as a whole right now, like the pursuit of holiness is not what people are thinking about. Being good, standing up for what's right, yelling maybe really loud about what's right, and and trying to avoid sin because sin is bad and Jesus is good. Amen to that. That's true. But is that what God's called us to? Be good and avoid sin? No, right? He's called us into so much more. So what if we believe that? Right? What if we believe that God is calling us to far more than just trying to be good and avoid sin? Right? So we can get by so that we can be okay. Listen, and not only for your sake, God wants far more than that for your sake, but what what if he wants us to be holy for the sake of the world around us? So they might actually see who Jesus is. So in the end, that's what we're really tackling today. Christian worldview, seeing things through the lens of holiness and how that might change everything. And scripture is going to lay out how we do it. Um, in Second Peter 1 today, I'm going to say something really bold. I think this might be one of the most important passages in the New Testament about how we actually live this out. I've said it about Romans 12, 1 and 2. I think Romans 12, 1 and 2 is a vitally important passage for us to understand how we pursue the Lord once we understand the gospel. And so once we understand what Jesus did for us on the cross, that he died on that cross to forgive us for our sins, all sins, and he was raised from the dead so that we might be raised with him as something new, dead to life, as Brandon said. Once we get that, I think 2 Peter is, he's talking to the church here and he's trying to teach us how to walk towards holiness. How to be, actually be more like Christ. And that doesn't mean be good. That means to experience God in a way that I think a lot of Christians don't experience God. And so what I... I'm gonna say I love about this. This is a tragic thing. But what I think is beautiful about this is, as far as we know, this may be one of the very last things that Peter ever wrote. It's believed that he wrote it from prison in Rome. He's about to be killed for his faith at a time where Christians were heavily persecuted. Heavily persecuted terribly persecuted, and Peter is pouring out his heart to the church, to his people, so they might know. So these are some of the last things, as far as we know, that Peter is crying out to his church so that they would know, man. Like, all the Bible's important, but that, man, there's something about him crying out in his last, some of his last words. And I'll be honest, we talked about this at Men's Group, didn't we? Brandon introduced this passage, and we talked through it, and it was one of the best, I thought it was one of the best conversations we've ever had at Men's Group. I loved it. And it's stuck with me so, so much. I'm like, we're not done. I got to preach a whole sermon on it, right? We got to do a whole sermon just on this because it's just so good. I'm actually trying to memorize where we're going to be today is 2 Peter 1, 3 through 8. I'm trying to memorize it because I, be, I want it to be with me always, all of the time. Like always God can pull it up and use it to mold and shape my life for the rest of my life. So with that as our context, I'm going to read the whole passage straight through and then we'll come back and we're going to focus on verse 3 and 4 to start. So 2 Peter Chapter 1, let's read verses 3 through 8. I'm encouraging all of you to memorize this. It's a lot of, a lot of verses to memorize, right? I know. But at least read it over this week so you can, it'll sink deeper and deeper into your heart. Verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious And very great promises, so that through him you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love." For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if it hits you like it hit me, but by the end of this, I hope it does. My goodness, God just laid out something beautiful there. So read verse 3 and 4 with me again and really listen to what this is saying. His divine power has been granted to us, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the di- divine nature, having escaped the corruption, uh, the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Oh, church, if we just believe that. I mean, if we just truly believed what we just read, are are you, when you read it through, are you all seeing why I'm so excited about this, Like, like, why it's such a big deal? It would change everything. I mean, come on, did you, it just said that God has granted to us His divine power, His divine power, and given us everything we need for this life and godliness. Is that not what we're talking about with worldview? Like, He's telling us, you don't need anything else. This is not about you gaining more holiness along the way. Everything you need was accomplished by Jesus Christ on that cross and because the Holy Spirit was in you. It's blowing my mind because it didn't stop there. What else did it say? Not only because through, his, through who he is, he's granted you a part of who he is. It says that we are partakers of his divine nature. Have you ever thought about it that way? Like that word partaker literally means participant, a partner. Wrap your mind around that for a second. Do you view God that way? Do you view yourself that way? That we share in, that we participate in God's divine nature. That God is sharing himself with us. Now listen, Don't, let's not go off on track with prosperity gospel. Whatever It doesn't mean that you're becoming God. But God loves you so much. He, he, he's so empowered you that he's giving a part of himself, like his holiness, his goodness, who he is to you so that these things might be true in your life. It's what we talked about last week. If you have given your life to Christ, it isn't as much about you becoming holy or that you recognizing that you are already holy in him. Like everything you need to be holy, to walk in holiness, was accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross. Everything. So you recognizing who God is, what he's done for you, that his divine nature has been placed into you through the Holy Spirit, is you just more and more recognizing who you already are in Christ, becoming more like Christ so that you might display Christ. And yes, along that way, along the way, we become more practically holy. But it's not because we have to accomplish more holiness It's just recognizing that we have holiness because God has shared his divine nature with you. That's crazy. It's something I want you to dwell on this week, church. Do you see God that way? Do you see yourself that way? This is not describing a faith of good rule followers or trying really hard to be good people. What percentage of people... In our nation, even in Christianity, view Christianity as primarily follow the rules, be good. That's not what this is describing. This is the God of the universe sharing himself with us so that we might be more than we could ever be without him, more than most of us could even imagine. What if we actually lived like this was true? What if we lived like that's actually true? Like that's not just good advice or a, a nice poetic thing to say, but like this is actually who I am. This is who God has made me. This is what he wants for me. Can you see how that might change things? So it's not just that. I think that's the, this is the foundation But we're going to get into actions in a minute. But it's not just that truth. I think through this whole thing, God was really laying the foundation of how we pursue holiness, how we understand holiness, and how we pursue holiness. And I think verses 3 and 4 gave us four things to look at. Four things in this passage of how we actually believe this, walk in this, pursue this. And here's the first one. Javi, are we going to have slides? But let's see it. Do we have the first one? Knowledge of him, how we pursue this? I have that as a slide, don't I? No? Yes? Boom! Nice job, Hobby. My goodness. Would you go thank the tech team after this? you know what, uh, how stressful it is when this is going down and they can't figure out what's going wrong and what Freeway did or didn't do last night? This had, may have nothing to do with Freeway whatsoever or they may have flipped a switch that didn't work Anyway, we don't have time for that, right? Thank them. It's so stressful when things don't go right. Oh my goodness, right? So our first foundation of how we pursue holiness is knowledge of Him. Listen, you want to grow in your faith? You want to experience God and this fullness of joy that is promising in the world Word through Jesus Christ? If so, it doesn't, and it can't start with you. I mean, I've said this so many times from the front. I, said it, I think I said it in men's group this week. But we always start with us, what we've done well or what we failed at or with confession or what we're supposed to be or guilt that we're not this or looking to even looking down on other people or even praying for other people. Please pray for other people, right? But it doesn't start with those things. It starts with God. Holiness is possible because of His excellence and for His glory, period. That's where it's got to start. Man, especially in Western culture, we make it about us. It's it's our biggest downfall in experiencing this. Only by knowing God can we really understand what holiness even is. Because he is holy. It comes from him. And it's only through knowing God can we actually share the goodness of his holiness with other people. It's all through him. It all starts with him. It's it's why when, when I study the word of God... Let me, let me be more accurate when I go into the word of God to worship him because that's what's finally God's done in my life right I'm not going in to try to break down passages anymore yes being able to understand a passage in good theology it's all important right but when I go into the word to try to understand God to worship him what I've realized what God has taught me over time what scripture has taught me is every text every single text teaches us something about God have you ever thought about it that way Every one of them. And they might not be literally talking about God's characteristics at the time, but how God responds to the world, how we're supposed to respond to God. Even like in things like in Exodus, when he's laying out the details of the temple, it all tells us things about who God is, his character, how he sees things, how he views things, and what he's calling us to to do. All passages teach us about God's character and who he is. We must always start with God. Understanding who he is and what he has done is the beginning of all good theology is the beginning of all good doctrine. and it's the beginning. Not good Bible study, not good prayers, not good work, not good singing on Sunday mornings. All of those things, yes and amen to all of those things. None of them will be right and we will not pursue them right without having an accurate knowledge of who God is because it all stems from him. All of it. It's all about him. Understanding God is by far the most important thing in the pursuit of holiness. And that's what Bible study really is. That's what good theology really is. Not studying the Bible, it's understanding God. Knowing him deeply leads to worship. And worship leads to transformed lives. And transformed lives lead to holiness. And holiness leads to us being effective and fruitful for the kingdom of God. That's how this thing works. Now, I don't want to speak for all of culture, right? But how many Christians out there do you think view it like this? view this thing rightly, that our faith is just mainly, primarily about knowing God. And if we know God, everything else is going to spill out from that because, because it's about him. You're going to learn more about this in a second. Brandon's going to come back up at the end and we're going to talk a little bit more. But um, this is why we're doing a church-wide anonymous theological survey. We want to see, see where the church is theologically. It's anonymous. Do you, know, do you, do you see why we're doing this? It's our job to teach you about who God is and we want to see the points where we're strong as a church and where we're weak as a church. So as pastors, we can speak directly into those things. That's our job to to train, to mold, to protect, to grow. And so we want to know. We don't want to just preach on Sunday mornings all the time hoping that we know where we are theological, that we know where you guys know God really well and, and don't understand God as well. We want to see those things and know those things. We're going to talk about that more at the end. We're doing this because we desperately love you and we want you to know God more. And we want to know God more. So the first foundation for holiness is knowledge of God. Number two is the one we already talked about, It talked about, so I'm going to spend a very short amount of time on it. We are, the fact that we are already holy. We are holy. Christ's holiness is in you. The power of the Holy Spirit is working this in you. Ephesians 4.24 says, Put on the new self. New self, old self, dead. New self, raised with Christ, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let it sink in. You are created as something new in the likeness of God, partakers of his divine nature. So first, we must start with God and who he is. And secondly, we must understand who God says we are. If we understand who God says we are, we're not going to be guilt-ridden, condemnation-having, shame-producing Christians that are just doing their best to be good people. We're going to begin to experience God, and it's going to radically transform us. That's who we're meant to be. So the second foundation is you are holy in Christ. third foundation in pursuit of holiness, the foundational truth, is holding on to God's promises. uh, Verse 4 says... How we really become partakers of God's nature is we hold on to his precious and very great promises. It's not because the words on this page, it's, when it's talking about the great promises, what's it talking about? Anybody? Anybody? When it talks about God's great promises, what do you think it's talking about? Yes, the Bible, thinks, babe. It's talking about the Bible, right? And it's not the words on the page in the, in the Bible that are important. I was talking to Jack the other day, and he said, the Bible doesn't save anyone. He's like, and we we're having a conversation about the importance of the Bible. He's like, the Bible doesn't save anyone. And I was like, you're right. The Bible does not save anyone. But hey, listen, the words on the page, the fact that this is a book is not the important thing. The important thing is this is God's words. This is God's heart written through his prophets, written through his apostles so that we might know him more. And holding on to what God says is true is all about what worldview is all about. Holding on to his very great and precious promises. The word of God. And so reading your Bible, hear me, please hear me. Reading your Bible is not about you being a good Christian. Oh, if we could stop doing that. We could stop reading the words to, to make us better people or so we can check the Christian box or we don't feel guilty about what kind of Christian we are. It's about learning to worship God for who he is, knowing him, and then through those things, letting the Holy Spirit absolutely transform us in the likeness of Christ. It's so important. It's why I've memorized texts like Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. Now listen, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you think I'm reciting that right now to try to impress you? No! It's because that verse, those two verses have meant so much to me over time. They have taught me what it means to worship God and how not to be conformed to this world, to, to pursue God, to be transformed by God and then, so that I might know the will of God for my life. I've went back to those two verses again and again and again and again and again. They've had such a huge impact on my life. And how would they have an impact on my life if I don't know them? It's holding on to God's great promises for you. That's the only way that we can pursue Him because the Holy Spirit works through those promises, sinking them down into our heart, our soul, and our mind. It's so important. This is what reading your Bible is about, holding on to who God says He is, who He says you are, and how we pursue Him. It will radically change us. Knowing God's great promises, praying over his great promises, and holding on to his great promises is one of the major ways that God shapes us and molds us in the image of his son and ultimately makes us very effective for his kingdom. This is why every pastor ever will tell you, read your Bible. And if he doesn't, run. Run. It's why we're doing the spiritual disciplines class starting next Sunday, right? Right? Next Sunday evening, and then we're gonna do it Wednesday and Wednesday. Spiritual discipline sounds really exciting, right? Spiritual discipline. It is a discipline, though. And it's so important. On that spiritual in the spiritual discipline class, we're not gonna be trying to teach you to read your Bible really good. We teach your Bible really well. For those about you that can't stand that, right? Do we wanna do that? Yes. What we're trying to t- we want, we, so Brandon and I and Denny and the rest of you, we so desperately want you to worship God in the word of God. Draw you to him. That's what the spiritual disciplines class is going to be about. Sign up for it. Be there. It's so important. We'll talk about that more at the end. Right? right, we'll talk about more at the end. So the third foundation for holiness is holding on to the promises of God. Let's look at the fourth and the, the final foundational truth. Verse 4 says that we have escaped the corruption of this world brought on by sinful desire. You know what that was saying? You have been set free. You have been set free. Now, I I want you to notice what it said in the passage. Did it say that we are escaping the corruption of this world brought on by sinful desire? Did it say escaping? What did it say? It says escaped, right? We have escaped. It is done. It has been accomplished. We pursue, hey, you pursue leaving your sin and leaving the the corruption of this world as something that you are accomplished, something that you are escaping. It says that you have escaped it. You know why? Because church in Christ, if you are in Christ, you are not a slave and you are not your sin. You let your sin define you. God does not let your sin define you. He lets his holiness in you define you. He lets Christ define you. In Christ, listen, I've said this before, I'm going to do this again. You are not a lustful person. You are not an angry person. You are not an anxious person. You are not a person who worries all the time. You're not a fearful person. You're not a greedy person. You're not a hopeless person. You're not, you're none of those things. You're not any kind of person except for you are a son and daughter of the king. That's who you are. That's what we hold on to. By the blood of Christ, you have been washed clean, and by his resurrection, being resurrected with him, you have been made new. You are clean, you are free, you are redeemed. It is done. What did Jesus cry from the cross? It is finished. Why are you trying to complete it, Christian? Why are you trying to finish his work? Christian. I know, I know, it's hard. We're taught our whole lives to accomplish. Work hard, you'll accomplish, then you'll be this. It's so hard for us to just think, man, it's been, it's been done. It's been done. Why do we need the promises of God locked into our heart? Because your own heart and your enemy is going to try to convince you and accuse you that you're that same old person, that you're still those sinful things, that you're still, you're still a slave. And without God speaking to us through his word, through the Holy Spirit, by holding on to his promises, without God protecting and guiding us, listen, those accusations work because most of them are true. He is a liar, but most of the time he's accusing us things with which we've actually done or thought. And then that's how we start over time, start looking, look, looking more and more like the world acting more and more like the world, and becoming distinguishable from the world? You don't have to answer me or raise your hand, but um, for the most part, how distinguishable are Christians on social media from non-Christians now? The way things happen in our culture now, when you see things happening in the news, really, how indistinguishable are Christians from the rest of the world when we see the way things are portrayed on the news? And accurately or not, how often do Christians look extremely different than the rest of the world in the way we react, the things that we say, the things that we focus on, the things we give our own hearts and our minds to with the anger, the division, the disunity, the frustration? How different do we, the way we honor people, how different do we really look? It's your enemy, one step at a time, pulling you further and further away from who you are with accusations, with sinful desire, with wanting to be like the world, stirring up the anger, stirring up the hurt, stirring up the bitterness more and more and more and more until you want to be a good Christian, but all of a sudden, you're so far away from where you were one step at a time and you don't really realize it. Why? Because your, your worldview is the same as the world. You have a worldly worldview and you don't even know it because you're not renewing your mind with the foundational truths. Again and again and again. How many times do you think you encounter something worldly every day that's trying to influence you and conform you? I'm going to get into this more later in my sermon series. I'm going to spoil something. You know, the average person has an interaction with their phone, picking it up, looking at it, switching an app, switching to something else, flipping something, touching it, moving something on their screen, 2,700 times a day. That's average. For a heavy cell phone user, it's 5,100 times a day you have an interaction with your phone. Now, I'm not telling you to get rid of their phones. This is not where this is going. But do you think that might be conforming your mind? This is not about leave everything in the world behind, right? This is about not drowning absolutely drowning in the deluge deluge of things of this world that you have no hope of competing with because you have a clever and evil enemy that is against you and your own sinful heart that's against you that you're not believing that you've been set set free from into holiness so you're operating as the world operates. It's all of us, church. I'm not coming down on you. This is all of us. If we're not pursuing these things, what hope do we have? This is not about brainwashing. This is just about worshiping. First John says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us of all sin. Listen, God has forgiven you, but there's something powerful about you coming to God, confessing your sins, confessing where you've fallen short, repenting of what you've done, talking to other believers, confessing with them, letting them know, I don't, I, this is what I've done, but I don't want to be bringing out of the darkness into the light. God, And then God takes those things and he reminds you that you've already been forgiven, that you're redeemed. He washes you clean. If you're worshiping him in that, you experience being clean, knowing that you don't deserve it. And then God helps to propel you forward into who you're meant to be. We've got to talk about these things and confess these things to God and to each other so that we can bring it out of the darkness into the light so that we might move forward. Don't let sin, sinful desires, your past, the world, don't let these things hold a death grip on you. That's why we need community. That's why we need to talk with God and talk with each other so that we can be set free and move forward. That's why Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward towards the upward call of God in Christ. Strive forward to what God has for you. Don't let your past or your sin or your struggles or this world hold you down. Put its thumb on you. God wants to set you free so that you can move forward. Church, this this is our foundation for not only being holy, but seeing everything else through the lens of holiness. Through the knowledge of God, By understanding we share in his divine nature and have already been made holy. By holding on to God's promises and his words, just holding on to them desperately. And then fourth, by believing we have actually been set free from the corruption of this world and sinful desire. We have been set free. It is done. It has been accomplished. That is our foundation. That is what we start with. Now, we're going to talk about, quickly... The rest of this passage, how all of these things lead into action. But hear me, action without these things ends up being worthless. It ends up being worthless. Read First Peter, not First Peter, 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 8, one more time. And you'll see how this, you'll see it right away, how this plays into action. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge And knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, do do you remember how Brandon said our worldview works? What kind of defines it? The first one was, I don't know if you remember the first one, was belief. What we believe. You know what another word for belief is? Faith. Right? That's what it's talking about right there. When we have our foundation, what, what, what we believe is what we're going to have faith in. What we have faith in is what we're, gonna what we're going to believe. It's what we're going to follow. So our, world, our worldview is defined by what we have faith in. And as Brandon said earlier, even people who are atheists or agnostic... Have have faith, it may be faith in their own moral code or the faith of things that they've read, but you also see when you have faith in things that aren't rooted in something that doesn't change, you have a culture like ours that in the, 20, the last 20 years is radically different than it was just a little while ago. I mean, man, I, we had the conversation again, we were watching a show last night and it was just from like five years ago. I know I say this a lot, but it blew me away again last night. What they were saying in that show as truth is no longer truth in our culture. You can't say those things anymore. That was five years ago. Cultures don't change that fast, right? So when you have faith, if you have faith in yourself and what you think is morally correct at a particular time, moment in time, that constantly changes and molds and shapes. And now people don't even like the idea of truth anymore. Why? Because they don't. no one wants anyone to tell them what to do, whether it's true or not. That's who we've become as a culture because we all have faith in something. If you don't have faith in something that's a rock that doesn't change, well, look where it ends up. Truth starts to not even matter anymore. So how can you even define what your worldview is? So the first thing in worldview is belief, or as we saw in the passage in 2 Peter 1 is faith. So we have to have faith in the right things, but then our faith should lead to other things. And so it said, supplement your faith with what? Virtue. Supplement, enhance, add to, add to your faith with virtue. What is virtue? Virtue means to have or seek moral excellence. What's another word for that? What we value. It's what Brandon laid out earlier. The second part of worldview is value. This, this is just laying out worldview. Do you see that? What we have faith in or what we believe, what we hold as virtuous or what, what we have, what we see as valuable, like our values, what we see as good and right. So for us to see the world through the lens of holiness, we must have faith in the right things and we must value the right things or hold the right things as virtuous. Then what's the second thing that Paul tells us to supplement our faith with? Virtue, then what? Knowledge. Knowledge is an actionable thing. You realize that? That's not just coming Sunday morning and hoping to soak some stuff in. We have to pursue Knowledge. We have to pursue it. And namely, what we have to pursue is those foundational truths that we already talked about, that are laid out in the gospel, that are laid out in God's Word, who He is and who we are in Him. We have to, so we can value the right things, so that we can believe the right things. This is a huge deal. As Brandon said in Matthew 22, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your what? Mind. Romans 12, Two, I read earlier, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your what? Man, your mind, what you think about, what you pursue, what you read, what you watch, what, what you dwell on matters far more than most of us realize. It's incredibly important, way more important than you think it is, what you're giving your mind to. How do we, listen, again, how do we avoid being conformed to this world? What does Romans 12:2 say? by the renewal of your mind. So our minds will drive our faith. Our minds will drive what we hold as virtuous or what we value. And then, so again, this is one more reason until in, in just a second when Brandon comes up, this is why I'm encouraging you to do the spiritual disciplines class so that you might learn how to effectively have your mind renewed so that you can pursue the right things. Like I said before, Christians have gotten to the point where we are, are almost indistinguishable in society and on social media. And read scripture, that is not at all who we're supposed to be. We are being conformed to the world church, but it doesn't have to be this. It doesn't have to be that way. And it can start right here with us. But we can't change the world, but we can change how we pursue the Lord and what we think about and how seriously we take this. So our belief or our faith, combined with our values or our virtue, and with our minds being renewed as we're pursuing knowledge of God and who we are in God, then that will drive, uh, that, that will drive our worldview. That will drive our behavior. And that's what, the rest, that's what follows in the rest of this passage. All of those things lead to self-control. What's self-control? Discipline to do the godly thing, right? That's why we're calling it spiritual discipline. Self-control to do the godly thing. Steadfastness. Self-control leads to steadfastness. Steadfastness is a commitment to stand firm on what is good and right. And we know what's good and right. It's the Word of God. Right? And though that leads to godliness. What, what's another word for godliness? Holiness. So this is, this is not just knowing that we're holy. This is actionable items now. This is actually pursuing godly things. I know I've said that you've already been made holy and it's recognizing that you're meant to be holy, but that does not mean you just sit on your hands and hope God makes you holy. This is an actionable thing. We are to pursue godliness. We are to, we are to pursue holiness. Be serious about it, but here's the problem. Where do you think most Christians when they decide, I need to be better. I need to be more like God. I need to be more like Christ-like. Where do you think that most Christians probably start? Judging others or judging themselves, right? I need to be better. Man, I need to work harder. Man, why aren't I a better Christian? Man, I just need to get in my Bible and I need to pray more. And I, I mean, I just need, I mean, I'm not a patient person. Man, why am I not a patient person? God tells me to be patient. I need to be more patient. Dang it. Now, do we need to be serious about being patient if we're not patient? Yeah, absolutely we do. But where does Scripture tell us to start? Way back up here. Like, this is way down the list. Actionable items are way down the list. Vitally important. Absolutely. We have to pursue holiness and be obedient and have self-control and be serious about it. But if we don't start with the foundational truths, the weight of all these things just crumble us and shatter us. And so we either become really self-righteous because we're better than everybody else or we become devastated by us not being good enough and we never feel full or whole or holy or find joy. There's no joy in self-righteousness or hating yourself for not being good enough. So yeah, actions are unbelievably important, but they can't start there or everything, the, the weight of it crumbles everything underneath it. This is what Peter's trying to tell us. This is what God's trying to tell us through Peter. Our actions have to come after a right understanding. And yes, we have to be disciplined. And yes, sometimes we just have to be obedient. But we have to seek to have a right understanding. All right. So seeing God rightly and seeing ourselves rightly in Christ will lead to faith, which leads to virtue, which leads to right knowledge, which leads to self-control, which leads to steadfastness, which leads to godliness, which leads to what? Brotherly affection and love if you are truly being transformed by God to be more like Christ if you are growing in your holiness you will hear me you will have a genuine care for other people and you will have a growing love you will that that listen that is the ultimate result of holiness The greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And love what? Your neighbor as yourself. That is the fruit of a kingdom-focused life. That is the result of holiness. Let's get more practical, because we just throw out love, right? Like, we love pizza, right? But everybody's supposed to love. No. God defines what love is for us, doesn't he? I can't cover all of them today, but love is loving your enemy, And not in theory. Loving those you can't stand or you think are on the other side or that make you angry. Love is loving your enemies. Listen, this is a hard one. And it's okay that it's hard. It means loving and praying for those who abuse you. Remember when we read that verse last week? That's the fruit of the kingdom. Loving, loving, forgiving those who abuse you. Does the world see things like that? That's hard. This kind of love is showing honor to everyone. The parent who abandoned you. The person that you spew hate all of the time. The person maybe that even abused you. It doesn't mean that you have to do nice things for them, but it means that we show honor and have forgiveness for everyone. Everyone. This is how love is defined. It means that we are kind and patient with all people. Do you see how this is going to play out in things that we're getting to later in the series? Like I said, later in the series, I'm not trying to get in a bunch of debates or, opi- or share a bunch of opinions. I'm going to say, can we let Scripture define how we approach and see cultural things and politics and all of these other things, social media and all these other things that are playing out like we're kind and patient with all people. Like, it's through holiness, God transforming our lives to have genuine care for people and a genuine love like he loves that we actually can love our neighbor as ourself. This is not, hey, be better at loving your neighbor as yourself. This is pursue the Lord and ask for his help. Understand who he is and really wrap your minds and hearts around the fact that he's just he's shared his divine nature so you can understand that you're holy. And then he wants you to grow in that holiness so that you might have joy and you might have a huge impact for the sake of his kingdom. So it's not about you just loving your neighbor as yourself. It's pursuing God and who he says that you are. And the, the, the fruit of the kingdom is born through you so you can actually love your neighbor as yourself. And then that transforms the world. Do you see it? Church, do you see it? So this is not just about, hey, be better when it comes to politics and social media. This is about, like, can I step back and just look at what God is saying the church is and actually beg him, help him to actually help me pursue these things in this way. That's how things get transformed, church. Not by a pastor coming up and saying, be better in the way that you approach politics. What good is that going to do? It's too hard. There's too much information. We're too bombarded. There's too much anger and hate and division. But God can change those things in our church, in our hearts, and he can use us to help start changing our community. We can't change the federal government. But we can change the way we love our neighbor who looks at us as an enemy because of what we believe. And we can show them the love of Christ despite the fact that they may even spew hate towards us. That's being set apart. And we can actually do this because the holiness of Christ is in us. Because it's not about you being good enough. It's about Christ is good enough in you. And he loves you. And he wants you to experience this. As Jesus said, by your love, they will know you are my disciples and that the Father sent me. By your love, they're going to know who Jesus is and who you are in him. These are the qualities of holiness and verse 8 is telling us, if these things are ever increasing in you, you will be effective for the kingdom of God. This is how we live out that C.S. Lewis quote that I started at the beginning of my first sermon. It says this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the Son has written, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. This is where we're going. This is the point Can the Word of God truly help us see everything else? Can the Holy Spirit make us more holy practically and recognize the holiness that has already been given to us so that we might see the whole world by it? Brandon, why don't you come on up? I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to talk about, other than this sermon series, the couple things I mentioned as we went through this, how we're going to help empower all of us to see these things, to grow in these things, and to see the world through the lens of holiness. So let me pray, and then we'll talk about those things. Heavenly Father, God, I, I am just so grateful for who you are. Because God, when, when I read scripture, when I, when I read what you're calling us to be as Christians, I get a little bit overwhelmed because God, I know that I'm not good enough. God, thank you, Jesus, that you came and you went to the cross knowing that we couldn't be good enough, that we were never going to be good enough. But despite all those things, you still loved us and still wanted us in our family. And that Jesus, you went to the cross to redeem us, to wash away all of our sin, all of our failures so that we could actually have your holiness in us. God, what an amazing truth that we get to be partakers in your divine nature. God, that your Holy Spirit in us is more than just some some spiritual force, but it is our power, our holiness, what we need to actually be ambassadors of Christ. So God, we we just pray for your help today. It's just all too much. But God, we know it's not too much for you. And so I pray for everybody in this room that no matter where they are, you'd help them to see the step forward that they can take today. God, I pray that none of our pride For any of us our pride would not get in the way that when you start convicting our hearts in ways that we have not approached this world in a holy way and a good and right way that our pride wouldn't swell up but you help to break that so that we could see and we could grow and we could believe that we can and god i pray you'd help us to be ambassadors for the sake of your name to love well, to do good. And that through our actions, the world might believe that we are your disciples. And Jesus, that your father did send you to save and redeem the world. Help us today. Amen. All right, so this is kind of announcement time, sort of, but we wanted to give you a little bit more details about the spiritual discipline class and the survey that we're going to do theologically, because it is so important for us moving forward. Brandon, why don't you kind of take that away?
0: Yeah. So we have, as JT said, a spiritual disciplines class coming up uh, next Sunday night, and then the next two following Wednesday nights. And not to rehash all of all of that again, but just to say, church, in order for us to to hold to a biblical worldview, we have to we have to be able to see God's world. Uh, with, through the lens of, of god 's word, and so i I think that that 's something that that we can 't do um, we can 't we can 't have that that proper we can 't grow into Christian maturity without that being the process that we take I think spiritual disciplines are the avenue through which we must travel in order to get to spiritual maturity and that isn 't just uh, an opinion of mine because like you know, I'm I'm the the nerdy one, like when JT's like, who thinks spiritual discipline sounds exciting? And I'm like, Me. <laughs> right? Um, because I'm passionate about it. And so I don't want you to think that I'm 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 wanting you to do this because it's something that I'm passionate about. I believe that that they are the only sufficient God-given means for us to to pursue holiness, to pursue Christ-likeness. So um we're gonna look at what does it mean to to really saturate yourself into the Word of God what does Bible intake look like for you what does prayer look like what is what are things like maybe that, that you're a little bit leery of like silence and solitude and fasting what do those things look like uh, how do we approach those things from a biblical worldview in order to shape our 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 holiness and our growing in Christ likeness so we're going to spend some time, uh, really, I, I'm trying to pair them up as, as well as I can. Uh, I, think, I think I've done that, but, but we'll look at, really, the first night is going to be, why do we need to do this, right, which I've just given you the answer, so uh, still come, but, uh, but, but why, the why and the how that we do this, and then we're going to look very specifically at Bible intake, prayer, and another one that's just slipped my mind. Um, It'll come to me in a minute. It's good.
1: And just so you know how serious we're taking this and how how serious Brandon is taking this, I asked Brandon for the series. I said, would you take a break from preaching over the next month and a half so that you can solely give yourself to this? Because this is a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of prayer. And thanks, man. He's like, yeah, yeah. Because he loves preaching, I think, as much as I do. Uh, So he's taking a break from preaching. I mean, he preached for... 10 minutes
0: today. Yeah, 10 minutes.
1: Um, so, but, but overall, he's really not going to be preaching for the next month and a half to give everything to this class. And so one, I want you to know Sunday life groups. We're doing it two Wednesday nights. We're trying to protect you. I know you guys always get put on the back burner. I was going to say that a different way. Oh, well, not going to be good. You guys always get put on the back burner and we're trying to be aware of that. And we're going to have childcare, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to have childcare. So we didn't want that to hold you back either. Okay, good.
0: Uh, so that's spiritual disciplines class. The another thing that we're going to do that, that JT mentioned is uh, if you are if you receive uh, the the bulk like emails that go out to the church, you should have received an email during uh, the sermon I got about ten twenty nine. Yeah, about uh, a the state of theology uh, survey, and 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 as JT said, this is really just a way for us to. Uh, keep our our finger on the, the, the theological health uh, the the pulse of the theological health of, of of us as a body it isn't it isn't a check in I mean it is but it isn't like in a gotcha kind of a way it's that we want us as as a corporate body as a, as a whole unit to be healthy uh, biblically theologically what does that mean what does that look like and so a- again just just go into that with that understanding that it's coming from the best Uh, most well-intended place of our heart as possible that that we we just want to see where where we're doing a good job from the front or where we're not doing a good job where are some areas that we need to shore up and and teach uh, a little bit more on and and you're gonna help us with that and 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 that is of immense value and so if you would just it 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 takes maybe five to ten minutes to do. It's 35 questions. Once you start it, it's in, it's in the email and I'm still going to repeat it because you, you need to know because I've answered this question a lot. Once you start the survey, finish it because if you leave the link and then come back, it's going to think that you're done and you won't be able to answer any more questions.
1: Yeah, and so we tended to go to all members, right? We want This is really just wanting to keep this to members as much as possible, but if you're a regular attender or you didn't get the email and, and you like, just reach out to Brandon because there's probably going to be some people that are missed. But can, can I just... Please, please take it. This is really vital. I think in week one, I, I lined out that like, our responsibility to teach the truth and to teach God rightly is an enormous deal. And this is, this is not a, as much about you as us. And by the way, we're not doing some theological survey because we, we've seen these big theological gaps in our church. We haven't. And that's why this thing is so important. So the things that we're not seeing are blind spots as pastors. We know where to fill in on those things and grow us as a body. Does that make sense? So even if you have to do it right now, don't do it during worship, sorry TJ. Um I, I don't do it during worship. I was going to say it right now. But but please remember to take it and please remember to reach out to Brandon if you don't have it. Anything else? I think that's it. All right, worship team, come on out. You guys ready? Are you still doing are we still doing worship today? Uh, uh <laughs> Do I, yeah, let's let's do at least one song. So why don't you guys go ahead and stand and and worship with us? And while they're getting everything ready, let, let me just pray that again that all this gets soaked in, in us today. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to get to worship you. God, just looking at your word, what a good king, what a holy and righteous king. God, the fact that you love the way that you love, that you're, you're patient and you're kind and you're steadfast and you're faithful to us, a bunch of sinful people who seem to, to sometimes do a better job of messing it up than doing it right, yet you're still there saying, this is how you can be holy, this is how you can pursue me, this is how you can know me, and then I want my joy to be in you and your joy to be full. God, what an incredible God that you are. And so God, what, for, for all those people in this room that feel like they're not good enough, that that sin is getting in the way, that, that are angry or hurting or suffering, all, God, I pray that you would, you would use all of those things to bring you glory, because that's what you do. You do, use even the hardest things to turn those things around for your glory and to do good. And so God, I pray that you would do that today. And that as we go through the rest of this series, that you would guide us, God, bring us together and guide us so that we might honor you in all things that we do. Help us to see things through the lens of the holiness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.